so we are working through some of the major covenants um, that God has made with his people over time that we find in Scripture. And uh, we're calling the series Faithful because God is continuing to prove himself faithful despite the unfaithfulness of man. Uh, last week we looked at God's covenant with Abraham and he promised to bless Abraham with offspring and with land. Uh, and then this universal blessing that he would bless all peoples through Abraham. Uh, and we could see how Abraham was, uh, grew a little impatient at one point, right? Because he started to think that, how is God going to give me um, offspring if, if it's not happening? And how is God going to bless all peoples through my offspring if I don't even have uh, any offspring at all? And so um, started to kind of question, well, you know, God, what's going on here? And so we talked a little bit about how uh, God's timing is not our timing. And so we may even have a word from the Lord or feel like God is, has promised us something. Uh, and even if he has, we might think it should happen in our timing instead of when God wants to do that. Um, and so just a reminder to be patient on the Lord uh, as he works in and, in and through us. Um, we talked about how when God made that covenant with Abraham, there was a, kind of the ceremony that they would do to, uh, as they made the promises, say, if I, if I break my end of the covenant, then you know, curse, curses be upon me. Uh, and they would pass through between these um, basically like sacrifices, these uh, cut up animals. Um, well, Abraham didn't walk through them, right? God walked through them. And so this is a very strong picture of how God is saying, I am so confident and so faithful that I will walk through here. You know, cursed be upon me. Uh, basically, God would cease to exist if he became unfaithful and didn't keep his end of the bargain. Uh, and Abraham did not pass through them, basically pointing to the fact that, you know, man is imperfect. Abraham's imperfect. And so um, he, he doesn't have to keep up his end of the bargain for God to remain faithful. Uh, to his end of the covenant. Um, and so a really powerful picture there <clears throat> as they kind of cut that covenant together. Um, today we're going to look at God's covenant with Moses, um, called sometimes the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant, um, as God cuts uh, or creates a covenant with, uh, with Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, it's really a covenant with Israel and not just Moses. And so it's a covenant with the people of God, uh, as Moses being the representative or the figurehead here. God tells Moses in Exodus 3 that he's going to set the Israelites free from the Egyptian slavery. Um, that's the burning bush moment where God speaks to Moses and, and says, you're the person who's going to lead my people out of Egypt. Uh, and Moses tries to argue with the Lord and says, you've got the wrong guy, I can't do it, uh, what if they don't believe me, I have the speech impediment, all these different things. Uh, and the Lord grows impatient with Moses, right, and uh, basically is saying, I'm, I'm calling you to do something, and, and it's going to happen through you, <clears throat> and so I will set the people free. And so uh, part of this grand big picture, right, if God has promised a land to a people uh, to inherit freely, to kind of live in and, and rule over in a sense, uh, they need to be free, right? And so part of this big picture promise that he's made to Abraham uh, is being fulfilled or is going to be fulfilled in setting the people free through Moses so that they can inherit their land that, that was promised to them. <clears throat> so God is still remembering his promises made to previous generations and previous representatives. Um, he even says so when he's talking to Moses. He reminds Moses that I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so he's like, remember, I am 
this God who has created covenants with your forefathers. And so I'm being faithful, and I've been faithful to them, uh, and so I'll be faithful to you. He's kind of planting these seeds of uh, reminders to Moses as he introduces himself at the burning bush. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, God is promising deliverance for his people that they might inherit a place in which to live according to his ways. Uh, this should sound familiar because we've talked about this pattern with all the previous covenants of how God put Adam in a place and told him to rule over it according to God's ways. And then Adam, of course, failed. Uh, and then he kind of does a reset with Noah and puts Noah in a place to rule over it and be fruitful and multiply and live according to my ways. And Noah failed. And then he goes to Abraham and promises Abraham a place to inhabit and live according to God's ways. And Abraham, of course, is man, and so is sinful, and couldn't keep his end of the bargain either. But God is still remaining faithful, and still has a plan to put a people in a place to live according to his ways. And so he comes to Moses, and not just for Moses, but says, I will have a people inherit this promised land. So Israel, the nation, right, the group, it's a kind of a corporate um, promise now to, for Israel to be in a place and live according to God's ways, right? Um, they will be a unique people, set apart from all the others, holy, which means set apart, holy for the Lord, living unto the one true God. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of distinctions to set them apart from all the other peoples um, because God it wants to be set apart from all the other gods, right? And so his people are going to be marked by certain characteristics, and so God has stipulations for them. Just as Abraham was called to obedience, um, as part of his covenant with God, Israel is called to obedience. Uh, but Israel is called to obedience much more uh, exhaustively, much more specifically than Abraham was. Uh, Israel is given the law, the law. Uh, and it's not just a law. The law is summed up kind of in the Ten Commandments, which serve as a testimony to the many stipulations, the many different laws and specific things um, that are handed down to Israel. The tablets with the Ten Commandments would go on to serve as a testimony. God would say, put these in the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder to God's faithfulness that would be carried through generations so he could look back and see uh, God's faithfulness in giving them the law. Um, there were some other things in there. Manna was put in there to kind of represent, again, God's faithfulness to his people. And so uh, eventually all these things served as a testimony to God's covenants with his people. <clears throat> and the tablets stood as a reminder of this gracious act of giving them the law uh, that was promised them. And remember, Israel has not been granted freedom and promised Canaan uh, and an and identity as God's people because of their obedience. Um, and so for God to step in and say, here's the law, and I'm going to promise you this land, it's not like, here's all the things you guys are really good at, and so here's a list of all the things you're doing really well, uh, or I'm going to give you the promised land because you're so perfect and obedient. Um, and so he's giving them this law to say, look, I'm going to promise you this, but I'm asking you to live this way to honor me, to live for me, uh, to walk uh, in a way that is holy and set apart from other people's. Um, to go according to these, uh, the laws that I'm giving you. <clears throat> God chose Israel regardless of their merit, right? They haven't earned anything yet. Um, just like he chose uh, Noah and just like he chose Abraham, none of these people have earned anything from the Lord. Um, it's just the grace of God in choosing them. 
And so God is offering deliverance and relationship simply out of love, right, and devotion to his own glory. Uh, we've seen God and his promises um, when God makes a promise um, and then asks the people to do something or c- commands them or commissions them to do something, he often refers to the relationship, kind of establishes or reminds, here's who I am and here's who I am to you, and then he gives them this commandment or commission. Uh, we see God do this with covenants. We, th- we see Jesus do this with the great commission. Um, that you know, He's saying, that here, here's who I am. I have all authority in heaven and earth that's been given to me. Go, therefore, right? So he's saying, here's who I am. I have the authority to give you this huge, huge task. Um, And we often see God do this. um, God the Father do this in the Old Testament. Um, He'll remind people of who he is and who he is in relation to them before he asks them to do something. Kind of a reminder of his faithfulness and his love towards his people. Uh, And so he does it in Exodus 20 before telling Moses the Ten Commandments. And so there's a lot of different passages that I have in here. Some of them may be on the screen. Some of them may not. Um, We're jumping around a little bit. But Exodus 20, 1 through 17, we see God refer and to remind them of relationship before he gives the commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, Excuse me, should have muted that. I apologize. So God gives the Ten Commandments here. And if you weren't paying attention, we have fast-forwarded from God at the burning bush telling Moses he'll set the people free. They have been freed. He's giving them now the law to say that now that I've brought you out of slavery and I've rescued you and I've delivered you, here's how I want you to live, right? Here's the things that are going to mark you and set you apart as my people. Um, And so he reminds them, Before he lays down the law and says, here's what I'm asking you to do, he says, here's who I am and here's what I've done for you. Here's a reminder of the relationship. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Boom, right? And then commandments. Here's how you should live. And so uh, in this passage, we find the sign. We've talked about some of the covenants that have signs, right? That Noah uh, was given a rainbow as a sign of the covenant saying, 
uh, when God promised to never destroy mankind and animal kind again in that way, you, here's a sign of the covenant. With Abraham, he gave circumcision as a sign to say, listen, this is a, a promise I'm making to you to bless generations through your offspring. And so here's a very serious lifelong sign to remind you uh, of that promise. And with the law, God gives the Sabbath as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Not explicit in the text that I just read, but if you were to follow up in Exodus 31, 13 through 17, you can jot that down because, again, we have a lot to get to. Um, They refer to Sabbath as the sign of the covenant here in the Ten Commandments. Uh, One little clue is that when you read those Ten Commandments, there's like three or four sentences about Sabbath, um, and the rest are just kind of like little phrases. Don't lie, don't murder, don't, you know. Uh, But it says Sabbath, and it kind of gives you some details there. It's a little hint that Sabbath is pretty important. Not that the rest of them are not important, uh, but Sabbath is the sign of the covenant. So a covenant in which people are to work, to strive, to live for the Lord, is marked by the sign of rest. Here's all the laws, right? Here's the Ten Commandments. And if you were to go and continue through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, all kinds of different laws, myriad upon myriad laws, if that's the right term. I don't know. But so many, so many, so many, so many, right? Um, And so it's all about, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I have to do and so many things that I don't do and all this that I'm supposed to keep track of. Uh, It's a lot of work, right? And in the middle of that, God says, set aside a day each week to stop, to rest from your work to worship the Lord. And so in keeping the law and pursuing the law and striving after the law and striving after obedience, take time to stop and rest and worship. And this would, again, the laws in themselves are distinguishing God's people from the people around them, but then to do this is another level of distinction for God's people. To say there's a day when they just show faith in the Lord by saying, it's not in our hands. (laughs) I try and I try and I try, I do, I do, I do, or I avoid, I don't do, whatever it is. But there's a day where we just acknowledge we're the Lord's. And so whatever I've done or left undone, whatever, like today is just for the Lord. And I can't try to finish what I started yesterday and didn't finish. It's waiting for tomorrow right? I can't worry about it. I'm trusting it all to the Lord. So this really powerful image in the midst of law, work, obedience to say, rest and trust. Rest from your work. Rest from your striving and worship the Lord. Devoting an entire day to worshiping the Lord. So the people have the law. um, And remember, it's not just the big 10 that we read in this passage. Uh, but many, many different laws um, that they're given. Now remember, uh, Noah, if we go back to his covenant, he didn't really have any stipulations, right? Uh, It was just, hey, Noah, I promise to never destroy the world like that again. Didn't ask anything from Noah. Just said, I promise to, to never destroy the world like that again. With Abraham, here's a sign I want you to do, right? The circumcision with his promise. And now, with Israel, here's all these different things that I want you to apply to your life. I want you to surrender your life to these laws uh, in obedience to me. 
And the people promised to obey. Um, Exodus 24, 4 through 8. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. I don't know if you caught in that little passage, but there's a lot of blood. Um, Blood on the altars, blood ends up on the people. Um, It sounds really gross, um, and it probably was very gross. Um, but it's this seriousness that marks these kind of ceremonies before the Lord. Like, how serious is God taking this moment? How serious are the people taking this moment? Um, That they would have blood on the altar, blood upon the people for Moses to say, this is a big deal that you guys have just said, we're in. We will be obedient unto the Lord. But do we expect Israel to be able to keep their end of the bargain here? especially based on the track record of humanity that we've been looking at since Adam, since sin has entered the world. Adam failed, Noah failed, Abraham failed. Israel isn't just counting on one person, like who's our best and brightest, he can do it. No, it's like collectively as a nation, we're being held accountable to these laws. We will be obedient. Surely they will fail too, right? Sin has not been eradicated. Sin continues to mark the human side of these covenants with God. Uh, Shai Lin, who has a, um, a kid's album, um, he's a Christian hip-hop artist, um, has a song about how uh, no one is good enough except for Jesus. Uh, and he goes through just like all these heroes of the Bible. He's like, Adam wasn't good enough, Noah wasn't good enough, Abraham wasn't good enough, it's only Jesus. And he just keeps going. Like, Elijah wasn't good enough, like, all, David wasn't good enough. All these people that you think about, like, oh, surely they were, like, They were good people, right? They're heroes of the faith. Like, they've done amazing things for the Lord, and their names are in the Bible doing things for the Lord. But none of them were good enough, right? It's only Jesus. And so God knows this too, right? He knows everything. So kind of the question that we're building towards here is like, what's what's the deal with the law, (laughs) If God, who's all-powerful and all-knowing, keeps coming to man and saying, okay, I need you to be obedient, and here's what I need you to do, and man being like, we can do it, and God's in the back of his head, not in the back of his head, wherever, he doesn't have a head, but God's just like, you can't do it, right? I know you can't do it. I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to be disobedient. So is this just like torture, right? Is he manipulating us? Is he, is he being mean or cruel? No, he, he's not. Um. God knows that people will fail. He even says it in Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 17. I'll read this to you. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. 
and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? So God knows that they're going to fail. God knows that they're going to fall short. God knows that they're going to, again, that they're going to look at this situation and say, why did God ask of us these things and then we can't keep them? God has essentially asked the people to do something they're incapable of doing. But he still calls them and us to obedience. It's been happening from the beginning. And God is acknowledging it. So what is he up to, right? It's not a con. It's not uh, manipulative. It's, it's not torture. It's not just, just evil, right, that God's toying with us. He will be faithful to his promises. So why this law that we cannot keep? Well, I referenced this last week. I'm sure everyone remembers uh, Galatians 3. Uh, and I want to revisit it now because Paul explains what is going on here with the impossible to keep law in Galatians 3. 15 through 29. Aren't we thankful for the, the full counsel of Scripture that helps us see all these things in light of what God is doing? Galatians 3, starting in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. To promise, heirs according to promise. So this new covenant, um, oh wait, we're not there yet, sorry. Uh, the law then reveals our sinfulness. Which again, we said, yeah, we, we get that. That's, that's bad news, right? So it simultaneously gives us the standard of holiness. Like this is God saying, this is the holiness, the perfection that is required to be in my presence, to be in fellowship with me, to be reconciled to me in a, a, a relationship that's been broken by sin. Here's what's required, this obedience to this law. And we can't keep it. So it shows us the standard, and it also gives us awareness of how we fall short of that standard. 
And so in this sense, as Galatians, uh, as Paul pointed out in Galatians, it's a, a tutor that guides us to Jesus. The picture here is the, the tutor that kind of would walk the, the students to where they needed to be, right, and teach them as they went. And so he's saying that the law, again, it, it, just like our corporate confession, like we don't just sit there and say how terrible we are and just wallow in this bad news of, yeah, we're worthless and horrible people. It points us to the fact that we can't do anything of ourselves to be saved. We need something outside of ourselves to make us righteous and holy enough to be in the presence of God. It's not saying, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you can't be in my presence ever, not going to happen. He's saying, you don't have what it takes by yourself to be in my presence. God wants relationship. He wants to restore us. He's promised to restore us. And so he sets out the standard and says, okay, here's the standard. Here's all you have to do to be reconciled to me. And he doesn't leave us just with the bad news of we can't do that. He leaves us with the awareness of you can't do that of yourselves on your own, but it can be done through Christ. And so the law is given to us. And again, it's not that when Christ comes, we say, well, Christ obeyed the law, so we don't have to. It's in Christ we are able to obey God in a way that we never could before. And so if God calls us to obedience, an obedience that says, this is how you set yourself apart to live for me, how would we ever think, I can get that done by myself and live for the Lord? We can't. But by faith in Christ and the Spirit working in us, by faith we can obey, not perfectly, but we can obey, and we can then please the Lord in ways we couldn't before. And Jesus was perfectly obedient. And so when we put our faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is put on us. And so when God says, here's the standard, and we're like, we can't ever reach it. We can't get there. That's the point. Jesus can do that. And so if you'll trust by faith in Jesus, then when God looks at us, he doesn't say, Look how far you are from my standard. He says, you have met the standard in Jesus. The finished work of Christ is applied to us by faith. Just like the promises that God is making to his people. God remains faithful. so The promises still get fulfilled. And yet he knows we're going to fail. And so God says, yeah, it's on me. The work side to make it possible is on me. Once you're in Christ, you still live by obedience. We still, as we read in our call to worship, that the law is a delight to those who are in the Lord. That there's actually true freedom in obedience to the Lord. Not restriction, not why can't I do this, or why is it bad to do the things that I want to do. If our hearts are really surrendered to the Lord, we find freedom in the law. A freedom to obey the Lord that we didn't have apart from Christ. And so by faith, we trust in the finished work of Jesus, who met the standard fully obedient, fully perfect. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see the shortcoming, the sin, the failure. He sees the righteousness of Christ who fully and completely and perfectly obeyed. And so the law is given to us to say, here's how you live for me. You can't keep it on your own. In Christ, you pursue it and let it be a reminder that you need Christ to meet my standard. God loves his people. He knows we can't uphold our end of these covenants. And so as we move through the covenants in the Old Testament, 
A new covenant is brewing. Now, I just kind of didn't connect all the dots to the covenants, but I, spoiler alert, gave you, like, right, Jesus fulfills all the covenants in the new covenant. And we're going to get there in a couple weeks, right? Next week is David. The next week is the new covenant in Jesus. But in Jeremiah 31, God promises and predicts and prophesies the new covenant coming. Verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant that's coming has already come for us. The new covenant that is coming for the people that he's speaking to in Jeremiah doesn't trash the law, Right? God doesn't say, oh, that was a bad plan. I, I expected too much of you. God's law is still his standard. God's law still shows us and points us to his perfection, his holiness. And his law will be kept, right? When Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all the laws, of, of all the covenants, it, it's still someone who perfectly obeyed all the laws. So the standard never changes. Even as God creates new covenants and new relationships and new interactions with his people and keeps this standard in front of us, there is someone who was going to come who would fulfill it and keep it, obey it perfectly. And notice that it says the law, instead of written on tablets, is now written on our hearts, right? It's this internal transformation, this internal, um, this new life spiritually that brings and comes with the new covenant. It's internal and it's supernatural. But in the end, we end up forgiven of our sin and righteous before the Lord. To a point in Christ where we can enjoy the law, we celebrate the law, we meditate on the law by faith. We can't do that apart from Christ. Only in Jesus can we obey God's commandments. Can we celebrate the law as good, as something that showed us our need for a Savior and still allows us to please the Lord by living according to his ways. Only in Christ do we find that hope, that joy, that true life and obedience to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, once again for this morning. I thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the law, uh, your commandments, uh, the ways in which you've given us to live to please you. We fall short, God. We acknowledge that. We're imperfect. Um, your standard is, is too high for us to meet on our own. Only by Christ can we be found obedient to your law, Lord. And so I pray, God, that we would, we would be mindful of that, that, that we would be a people marked by that, that it would be a faith uh, that, that precedes this obedience, that it'd be... Um, trust in you and, and, and working out our salvation rather than trying to earn or, or just adjust our behavior or try to get things right on our own, 
uh, apart from Christ. May it not be true of us, God. May we be a people who, uh, whose hearts are surrendered to you. And out of a surrendered heart, God, we live in obedience to you. And may it not just be pleasing to you and, and rewarding to us to live according to your ways, but may it be a testimony to those around us. Our lives are different. We are markedly different than the world around us. And it's because of you. So God, let us enjoy the grace of your law. Let us uh, extend that grace to others to see the law in the proper light, in the light of Jesus, to not despise it, but let it be a reminder of your grace and love towards us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.